Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for joining us for this week's message from Riverside Church. I believe you will be inspired and blessed by the Word of God. We'd love to welcome you to one of our services next time you're in the Brisbane area. If you'd like to know more about us, go online at www.riversidecc.org.au or like us on Facebook to hear about up-and-coming events. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless you. Good morning, everybody. Happy to see you all, all my masked friends. I was looking out and I thought, I keep looking at people and thinking, you can't, I can't see your whole faces. But you know what? You're created in the image of God, so to me I can see the beauty of God. The, you guys are glorious. You are all glorious because you're created in the image of God. So this is our third week of making our way through the Gospel of John. So we're going to take quite a while because we don't want to miss anything. We want to really go through all the stuff. And last week, Pastor Jim began by taking us through the names of Jesus. And he took us, um, we had a look at the first two names of Jesus. In John chapter 1, there are 12 names of Jesus that are used. 12 names of Jesus. So last week, uh, with Jim, with Pastor Jim, we looked at the first two. And they were, he is the word and he is the true light. So if you didn't get to hear that, um, jump on YouTube or uh, whatever, podcast, whatever, and, and have a listen to that because you want to hear the whole 12. You want to know the whole 12 as we begin to go into the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the Synoptic Gospels. Pastor Jim brought this out last week. Synoptic Gospels. The word synopsis is really being used here. What it is, it's like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they bring a narrative about the life of Jesus. They tell their story about Jesus. Um, John, on the other hand, is, the, is called the spiritual gospel often because it brings out spiritual aspects about Jesus. It's also sometimes called the didactic gospel or didactic, I don't know, maybe, depends if you speak English or American, how you might pronounce that, but... Uh, and didactic means teaching. It's the teaching gospel. So that's not to say that we can't learn from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Of course we can. There's treasure and amazing stuff in all the gospels. But John specifically is known as the didactic gospel. It's the gospel where you learn the spiritual truths about Jesus. And that's why we want to go through the book of John and why we're not rushing. We're going to take our time so we can learn everything we can get from the book of John. Now, in this first chapter, as I said, John brings 12 um, names of Jesus. And each of those names is descriptive. It's not just a name that's, you know, sometimes we just throw around names and it doesn't mean a lot. But the names of Jesus, they are there for a reason. They are very descriptive. And there's 12 of them. And each one tells us something about Jesus. Each one tells us something that's important to know about Jesus, spiritual truth we have to understand. Let's look at it like that. this. Say someone doesn't know Brad. There may be someone in the building who doesn't know the fabulous Brad Smith. And, but they want to know, who is Brad? So if I'm the first person they ask, I will say, oh, Brad, he's a fantastic guy. He's a pillar in our church. He's a pillar of the church. Yeah, raise your arm, that's it. We pillars are very humble. So people go, people might say, there's instantly you know something about Brad. He's a man of God. He's committed in his church. He serves, he contributes, whatever. You know already something about him that's descriptive. He's the pillar of the church. Then they may go and ask Alyssa. 
And she will say, he's a loving husband. He's a very loving husband. She's nodding, so she's not stepping on my point. I'm good now. So Brad is not only, he's a great man of God. He's a pillar in the church. He's also a loving husband. Now, were we to ask the lovely Gloria, Brad's mum, who's not with us um, here at the moment, she lives in Maryborough. Brad goes up and, like, recently built a garage for her, you know. So she would say he's a supportive son. He's a caring, supportive and attentive son. He, he looks after Gloria. So we might ask Randall. They might go to Randall and go, who is Brad? Randall would say he's an encouraging friend. So you begin to get this picture of Brad. You begin to understand who Brad is. If we ask the musicians in the church, he's a talented musician in the church. We ask the people he works with, his work colleagues, they'll say he's the smartest guy in our office. So we get this picture. I'm not looking at Brad for any denials. We get this picture of Brad. Not working? We get this picture of Brad. Do I need to turn myself off there? I'm off. Okay. That is very clear, but it's come to us bit by bit. And John chapter 1 is a little bit like that. John paints a picture of Jesus for us little bit by little bit. And we get to understand who Jesus is, what Jesus is like. And through these names, we understand what he came to do, the purpose for which he was sent to earth. So as I said last week, Jim had a look uh, with Pastor Jim. We looked at the first two. He is the word. He is the true light. So today we're going to hit five. So I hope you're not looking forward to lunch too early. Yeah, that's every preacher tells the two-hour sermon joke. Yes, I had to get it out there. Okay, so we're hitting five today. So each of these is a very important picture of Jesus. Each very important on its own. Together you get the whole picture. It's like Brad. Little bits from different people telling you or little bits about what Brad is like. When you hear the whole lot, you know that Brad is the whole package. Okay, Alyssa would agree with that. Brad is the whole package. Sorry, ladies, he's taken. So we'll jump right in now to number three. We're actually starting at number three because one and two happened last week. So our first point this morning is number three. He is the son. Now, this is John 1.14. John 1.14, he is called the son, the one and only son who came from the Father full of grace and light. This speaks of the divinity of Jesus. This is Jesus' divinity. This is telling us Jesus is God. Jesus is God. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, Isaiah prophesying about Jesus, he says these words, and often this is said around Christmas because it's talking about when Jesus came to earth as a babe. And it says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now when we hear the word counselor, we naturally think of the Holy Spirit, don't we? When we hear the word everlasting father, we think of God the Father. But these are all descriptions Isaiah is prophesying about Jesus. So it's like this is a prophecy, so we are left in no doubt that Jesus is God. He is not an addition to God. He is not an extension of God. Jesus is God. In John 3.16, we see the term that he is God's begotten son, begotten son. Now that term begotten son 
means that he is unique and he is the only one of his kind. It doesn't mean that at some point God begat Jesus, as in God created Jesus. God got a son called Jesus the way we will get a child in our lives. It doesn't mean that. It means that he is unique. He is one of a kind. But Jesus is God as the Father is God, as the Holy Spirit is God. All God. So John says he is the Son, the Son, capital S, making it clear to us that he is saying Jesus is God. The fourth one, he is Jesus Christ. Now this is verse 17, John 1, 17. He is Jesus Christ. And it says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now Christ is the Greek translation of the word, of the Hebrew word Messiah. So the Hebrews, the Jews, understood they were waiting for their Messiah and John says he is the Christ because this is in Greek and he's translating Messiah to the word Christ. Jesus is the Christ and it means the anointed one. Jesus was the one that God anointed for this specific purpose. A Messiah had been promised and now he is here. Now they all understood what anointing meant. When someone was anointed, they understood clearly what that was saying. When a person was anointed, it meant that God was setting them aside for divine purpose. It is a very big part of their culture. It's a very big part of their faith. When I say them, I'm talking about God's people, the Jewish people. It's a very big part of their faith that someone is anointed to do something specific for God into a divine purpose. Their kings were anointed into their positions. Their priests were anointed into their ministry. It is part of what was used to say God has set this person aside for this divine purpose. And in Luke 4, I'm sorry, I don't have the scripture up there for you. In Luke 4, as Jesus is beginning his ministry, he says this about himself. And again, it is a, a quote of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah had prophesied this about Jesus. And Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry on earth, he quotes this. Like he's saying to people, you heard the words of Isaiah. You know what Isaiah said is coming. I'm here. I'm here. And he says these words, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has, what? Anointed me. He has anointed me. So when you hear the word anointed, you know, set apart for a particular divine purpose. God has empowered him. God has chosen him. God has set him apart for a divine purpose. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. The spirit, capital S. In other words, the Holy Spirit is upon me. Again, the Holy Spirit is God as Jesus is God is God. The Father is God. The Holy Spirit is upon me for he has anointed me. Who is he? He is God. For he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. John says he is Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah, therefore. He is therefore the anointed one, anointed by God for divine purpose. And we know what that divine purpose was, to live on earth, to minister and then to, to die and raise again and to deliver us from our sin. Amen.
The fifth name that John gives Jesus in John chapter 1 is Lord. He is the Lord. This is verse 23. Now at this part, well I'll just say this part. John replied to the words of Isaiah the prophet saying, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make way, make straight the way for the Lord. The Lord speaks of Jesus' authority. So first we, we saw that he is the son speaking of his divinity. Then we saw that he is the Christ, meaning he is the Messiah. He is the one that has been anointed and sent to you. Now John is saying he is the Lord. He is speaking of authority. The Lord, capital L. Sorry to be so grammatical with all my capitals this morning. But in the Bible, those are very meaningful. If you're reading the Old Testament and you see angel of the Lord and the angel is the A in angel is capitalised, that is, that is meant to mean that there is a, a, what do you call it? You're actually seeing Jesus before he came to the earth. So I don't mean to sound all grammatical. My teachers would be laughing, the ones who taught me at school would be laughing if they heard me trying to sound grammatical. But whenever I see something capitalised in the Bible, I take note. And the word Lord being capitalised, it means it actually is speaking of um, uh, position. It is speaking of standing. It is speaking of authority. So here John says he is the Lord. He's speaking of Jesus' authority. Now, this part of John's gospel, this part of chapter 1, John actually is starting to talk about what John the Baptist said. So the This uh, gospel is written by John the disciple. He is now quoting John the Baptist. So two different guys. John the disciple who followed Jesus. John the Baptist who went ahead of Jesus. John the Baptist was a prophet raised by God to herald the coming of the Saviour. So he is now speaking the words of John the Baptist. So he says, as we see in verse 23, John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, again, uh, prophecies from Isaiah, make straight the way of the Lord. In other words, the one with authority. I have come to tell you to take note. The one who has all authority is coming. The one with all authority is coming. For 400 years, there had been no prophecy. You, you know, I'm sure you know, that in the Old Testament, God would raise up prophets to speak to the people. God would raise up prophets to speak for him. This is how people understood and heard what God was saying. And for 400 years, there had been no prophecy. For 400 years, God's people waited on a silent God. They had been promised that there was a Messiah coming to them, They were waiting, and for 400 years, no word from God about it. No word from God about anything. That's why they are called the silent years. His people are waiting on a silent God. Then God raises a prophet called John the Baptist. Now, you remember in Galatians 4.4, the Bible says, In the fullness of time, God sent his son. In other words, at the perfect time, at the perfect moment, God sent his son. 400 years of silence and then the perfect moment, God sent his son. If you have been waiting on God, if you have been waiting a long time on God, 
believing him for something, praying about something, praying for someone to come to Jesus. Whatever it is, if you have been waiting for a breakthrough, if you have been praying to God, there is a perfect time and God acts at the perfect time. In the fullness of time, at the perfect moment, God sent his son. God has a perfect moment for every situation. And in the perfect moment, he sent the one with the authority to break the power of sin on the earth. After 400 years of silence, God raised a prophet, John the Baptist, to say, get ready, the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. Now we know, and we've heard already this morning from what I've said, Jesus is prophesied in Isaiah. He's prophesied a lot in Isaiah. But also John the Baptist is prophesied in Isaiah. John the Baptist is also prophesied there. And John recognises himself in that prophecy. When Jesus went into the temple and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, he is quoting Isaiah and he's saying, that prophecy, that's me. Now John is saying, this is what Isaiah said, make way for the one who is coming. He says, that prophecy, that's me. He's making it so clear. There was nothing left for people to try and guess at. So let's look at these words from John chapter 1, from verse 19. I'll start reading at verse 19. Now this is John the Baptist speaking. So John the disciple, the gospel writer, is um, recording the words of John the Baptist. And he says this. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. John didn't try to take advantage of any situation. He didn't try to play anything. He's like, I am not the Messiah. Read my lips. I am not the Messiah. So they asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Then they said, are you the prophet? Now John was a prophet. But here they're talking about the prophet and again, again, a capital P. So generally it's believed that they were saying either, well, he'd already said, I'm not the Messiah. So generally it is believed that they may have been referring to Jeremiah. Are you the prophet Jeremiah? Which one of the great prophets are you that has come back to tell us about this person, that tell us about the one that is coming? And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling, calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent to question him, they said, why then do you baptise if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John baptised because Jesus told, uh, God told him to baptise. That's the easy answer. That didn't always work for the Pharisees. Oh, well, God said to do this. That wasn't always good enough for them. But we will see in other places where you read that John says, God told me to baptise people in water. And so he says, I baptise with water, but among you stands one you do not know. He is one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Now, both John and Jesus were prophesied about in the book of Isaiah. Both John the Baptist, John, John B, if I may call him that for ease. John B and Jesus were both prophesied about in the book of Isaiah. John, John the Baptist, you could write that John B. John the Baptist and Jesus were both born miraculously. 
you remember, John the Baptist was born to Elizabeth, who was old and barren. She was past childbearing. John was born, and Elizabeth is Mary, Jesus' mother's cousin, and John was born six months before Jesus. Jesus, we know, was born miraculously by the Virgin Mary. And they are related. So we can see that they are related. Imagine knowing that you have been prophesied by the great prophet Isaiah. Imagine knowing that. And yet he refuses to allow any of the focus or the importance to be upon himself. Now, when I say, imagine you've been prophesied, it just dawned on me, we were prophesied. Jesus prophesied us. Jesus said in Matthew 16, upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I want to say to us this morning, just as an aside, how privileged are we? How privileged are we? Jesus, when he was on earth 2,000 years ago, he said, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail. You and I are part of something that no matter what is attempted by hell, what is attempted by the enemy, it will not prevail. This is our privilege. This is our privilege. Because of the way the world thinks, they're using the word privilege a lot in all sorts of derogatory ways. But that's how the world thinks. But I'd like to say, this is our privilege. The gates of hell will not prevail against you. Whatever you're going through in life right now, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Now, when the Bible speaks of the gates of a city, it speaks of the people who were important in that city. So when it says the gates of hell, it means that those who are in charge of hell, those who are against Jesus, those who are against his people, those who come only to steal, kill and to destroy, they will never prevail against you because you belong to Jesus And Jesus said, I will build my church. So we're not just talking about Riverside. We're not even just talking about the ACC of Australia with whom we are affiliated. Jesus will build his church, his church around the whole earth. And if you belong to Jesus, the important people, the most powerful demons, whatever they are, they will not prevail against you. Whatever you are going through right now, A scripture I like to say, greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Because they will not prevail. Okay, that was an aside. So, the Lord has all authority. So rather than take any glory to himself, in spite of the fact of how important was John the Baptist, but rather than take any glory to himself, he only pointed at Jesus. He just kept saying, I'm not, I'm not anyone important. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not this. I'm not that. Remember Isaiah said someone's coming ahead of him? That's who I am. Now, look, there's someone amongst us. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. That's, and he's talking about his cousin. What a, what a humble place he was in. But you see, John got it. He had one job. And his one job was to herald the coming of the Saviour. So he put no attention on himself. He turned or he, he diminished himself in comparison to Jesus. Why am I telling you this? Because there's a huge lesson to learn here, I believe. Don't ever follow a man or a woman who points you to themselves rather than Jesus. Don't ever follow. Don't ever put your attention on. Don't ever give your whatever to 
people who point to themselves instead of Jesus. Okay? If Jim or I or any preacher in this room does it, you come and tell us. Because we're here to point to Jesus. That's the lesson I take from John the Baptist. This is his cousin. They grew up together. You know, they probably did paintball or something together. And yet John's like, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. Why? Because John had a revelation. I know who Jesus is. My cousin Jesus, I'm thinking about my cousins. They're fabulous, but I'd have trouble. Okay? But John, he's like, that's my, Jesus, I can't even, I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. Don't ever follow people who point to themselves. What is it about human nature that we idolise, and I do mean idolise, people? What is it about human nature? Anyway, we're past that. So he says, the Lord, authority. Jesus has all authority. This is why we pray in the name of Jesus. This is why we pray in the name of Jesus. It's like a stamp of authority onto that prayer. This is why we declare the lordship of Jesus over every situation because we're putting the stamp of the authority of the name of Jesus over that situation. See, there are situations in your life, there are situations in my life that we cannot change in ourselves. But they are things that need to change. And so what we do, what I do, and what we do in this church, we declare the lordship of Jesus over it. Because the lordship of Jesus is the whole authority over everything. The lordship of Jesus is authority over everything. So we're stamping the power of Jesus. We're stamping the authority of the name of Jesus over our prayers, over the situations in our lives, over the things where we need breakthrough, where we need God to work. We say, in the name of Jesus, it's a stamp of authority. It's a stamp of authority. That's where the power is. That's where it is. The sixth name that uh, is used by John here in John chapter 1, we see it in verse 29. He is the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he repeats it again. And remember in the Bible when things are repeated, they're very pertinent. Take note when things are repeated. He repeats it again in verses 35 and 36. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, John was the son of a priest. John was born to Elizabeth and Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest. So John knew very much what sacrifice was all about. John had a very good understanding of what it meant that someone or something was a sacrifice. And he said, behold the Lamb of God. Because lambs were what was sacrificed. And he says of Jesus, behold the Lamb of God. So he has said, he is divine. He has said he is anointed. He has said he is the Lord. He has all authority. And now he's saying he's the one to be sacrificed. He is God's sacrifice. The picture is the Passover when a blemish-free lamb, a lamb that had no blemishes, would be sacrificed to cover for people's sin because sin separates us from God. But unlike the usual practice that they had, because this was another thing where they would have been like mind-blowing, unlike the usual practice that they had, a lamb would be sacrificed and it would be sacrificed as it was a temporary sacrifice to cover for sins of a certain time and of a certain group of people. But with Jesus, he came to be the once and for all sacrifice for people then and there 
people here and now and people that still are yet to be born, all people of all time, Jesus' sacrifice covers the sin. He is the Lamb of God. He sacrificed himself to cover your sin. Jesus, blemish-free, came to be our perfect sacrifice because sin separates us from God. And number seven, we're going to close. I'm only holding five fingers because there's one hand. We are going to close with this one today. Number seven, he is the chosen one of God. He is the chosen one of God. Come with me to verse 32. And again, he's quoting John the Baptist. Then John gave this testimony. So John, Jesus' cousin, gives this testimony of Jesus. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptise with water told me, again, that John was told by God to baptise people with water, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that is God's chosen one. John the Baptist speaking. Now, the NLT version says, I didn't know he was the one. Because John says here, I myself did not know him. But of course, we know John the Baptist knew Jesus because they were cousins. So he knew him. But when the dove, when the Holy Spirit came as a dove and settled on Jesus, John knew what that said about who Jesus was. That's what he's saying there when he says, I myself did not know him. What he's saying is, until that happened, I didn't realise who Jesus really was. And when that happened, I got the revelation. Now I know who Jesus actually is. Remember when David was anointed to be king in 1 Samuel 16. God sent Samuel the prophet to Jesse's house to anoint the next king. One of Jesse's sons was about to be anointed. One of Jesse's sons was chosen. One of Jesse's lads, one of his boys, has been set apart to be the next king. Now, one by one, the favoured sons, they're all presented. One by one, here come the favoured sons. And here's Jesse going, oh, yes, Eliab, he must be the one. That's got to be him. Don't we judge in interesting ways as people? And he says, oh, it's got to be him. And the Lord's like, no. And they bring the next one. Next one, no. One by one, the favoured sons, they're paraded. Samuel basically has to remind Jesse, you must have another son, because God said no. Oh yeah, David. Here's the thing. God doesn't anoint or choose willy-nilly. God is specific. Ephesians 1.4 says, that God chose you before the creation of the world. Before the creation of the world, God chose you. Before you, were God, uh, before you were born, God appointed you. Psalm 139 says that every one of your days, God knew them before even one of them came to be. Why? Because God chose you, he designed you, he has anointed you, he has set you apart for his divine purpose. God if there's not this, um, like a conveyor belt line where God's like, oh yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever. I say this to say some people feel very unimportant. But you know, you were created in the image of God. That immediately makes you important. 
You are immediately important if you get that you are created in God's image. When God created the animals, he gave them life. When God created people, he said, I'm going to breathe my life. They're getting my breath. That immediately makes you so important. The fact that you are alive, the fact that you exist is incredibly important. But I want to also say to you, God has chosen and appointed you. The Bible tells us that. And he doesn't play games with that. He's not casual with that. He chose you with purpose. And when he anoints, that means he empowers. So whatever he wants you to do, he has empowered you to do it. He has empowered you to live the life he is calling you to live. Sometimes things seem so hard. We just need to remember, God has empowered me for this. God has anointed me to do this. God has chosen me to do this. God has set me apart to do this. You know, the Bible says, be holy as I am holy. And people go, oh, that must have to be really, really good. The word holy means be set apart. Just set yourself apart from all the stuff. Set yourself apart from, there's the world and there's all the things. And hello, isn't our world going mad? But there, there it is. Set yourself apart for it. God, I'm set apart for you. God, you chose me. You anointed me. You've empowered me. You, you've set me apart by your choice. Because you created me and you designed me. So all of that, I step away from that. I, I step away. I step away from all that because God has chosen me and anointed me. That's what we need to say. Amen? So this is the picture we see of Jesus coming together today in these five names that we see that John gave. Jesus is the Son of God. He's divine. It's his divinity. Jesus is the Christ, so he's the anointed one. He's the one that God anointed, God empowered to go to the cross to die for our sins. Jesus is the Lord. In other words, he has all authority, all authority. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, all authority. Jesus is the lamb. He was the perfect sacrifice. He's the perfect sacrifice. If you have sin in your life, God sent the perfect sacrifice. Deal with it. Deal with it. Deal with that in your life. And he is the chosen one of God. God chose him and God chooses you. God chose him and he chooses you. Jesus is the one God chose to take away my sin, your sin, and sin for all time. Amen? Amen. Church, would you stand with me, please? my beautiful masked friends. I'm going to pray for us this morning. I'm going to pray for us, all of us. And I'm just going to invite you to join in. Maybe you have never made Jesus your saviour. Maybe if you're watching online and you've never made Jesus your saviour, I want to say Jesus is calling you today. Jesus is calling you today. He will redeem you. He will set you free from sin. And he will make your life what he has called it to be because he chose you before you were born. Maybe in this house or um, online, whatever, you have made that decision for Jesus, but maybe you've grown cold. Maybe you've stepped away. Maybe the stuff of the world has become the stuff of your life. And you need to say, no, 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 I'm set apart. I need to set myself apart. See, there's two parts to this. 
God set us apart, but we have to set ourselves apart. But in Jesus, God set us apart. In other words, he made us holy. He chose for us to be holy, holy to him, set apart to him. But maybe you need to set yourself apart today. You need to do that second part where it belongs to us to do. It's our decision. So I'm going to pray for us today. And if you want to pray anything to God, you just raise your hand to the Lord and just agree and be praying to the Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, I lift up um, all of us to you, Lord, and I see the hands going up in the house today. I see those who are reaching out to you today, and my hand is raised as well, Lord. And I want to pray, Lord, that my life will be just so completely set apart for you, that my life will not be in the mess of all the mess, but my life will just be set apart, that I will walk in the path you have ordained. I will walk in the path. I pray for every person here that they will walk the path you have chosen for them. And Lord, even if they look to the left or the right, Lord, that you will nudge them by your Holy Spirit and you will say, this is the way, this is the way, walk in it. This is the way to go, walk in it. I thank you, God, that you have empowered us to live the life you've called us to live. I thank you, God, you have anointed us to do this. I thank you, God, that you chose us before any one of us was born. I pray, Lord, for every person who needs a revelation, Lord, who needs a revelation of who they are in you, that they are created in your image, that they have the pre- privilege of being part of what will never ever be prevailed against thank you Jesus I thank you Jesus that you prophesied and you have built your church and you are building your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it and we agree with you Jesus we agree with what you say about us we agree with what you say about our lives we agree with what you say about our futures we agree with everything Lord that you want for our lives in the name of Jesus I say we agree We agree, Lord, and we will not contend against your spirit, but we will embrace what you have for us in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen, amen. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.